the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution's 14th Amendment enshrines a guarantee of racial equality. For 45 years, the Court honored this guarantee by allowing a limited consideration of race in college admissions to promote the important benefits of racial integration in higher education. Although progress has been slow and imperfect, this limited use of race has helped equalize educational opportunities for all students and promoted the Constitution's vision of a nation with more inclusive schools. Today, the Court stands in the way and rolls back decades of precedent and momentous progress. The Court cements a superficial rule of colorblindness as a constitutional principle. In an endemically segregated society, where race has always matters and continues to matter. In so holding, the court subverts the constitutional guarantee of equal protection and further entrenches racial inequality in education, the very foundation of our democratic government and pluralistic society. Don't be deceived. The court's opinion is not grounded in law or fact. The text and history of the 14th Amendment makes clear that the Equal Protection Clause permits race-conscious measures. After the Civil War, our country faced a period of rebuilding known as the Reconstruction Era. During that era, Congress first abolished slavery through the 13th Amendment. Abolition alone, however, proved insufficient to repair centuries of racial subjugation. The Southern states replaced slavery with a system of laws that imposed onerous burdens upon the rights and freedoms of racial minorities, particularly black people. Congress thus went further and adopted the 14th Amendment. In doing so, it enshrined expansive language in the Constitution focused on equal protection of the laws, rejecting language that would have made the Constitution explicitly colorblind. Moreover, at the same time, it passed the 14th Amendment Congress itself enacted a number of race-conscious laws to fulfill the amer amendment's promise of equality, leaving no doubt that the Equal Protection Clause permits some consideration of race to achieve its goals. For example, Congress passed the Freedmen's Bureau Act, which provided targeted benefits to black people, regardless of previous conditions of servitude, particularly in the field of education. It also passed the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which again explicitly classified by race and recognized that white citizens enjoyed certain rights that non-white citizens did not. In the words of Justice Marshall, this make history makes it inconceivable that a limited use of race in college admissions to promote racial equality is unconstitutional. Consistent with this history, this court held in Brown versus Board of Education that racial segregation perpetuates the racial caste system that deprives black students of the equal protection of the laws. Brown was a race conscious decision that emphasized the importance of education in our society. With eyes open to the effects of segregation, the court recognized that segregation in schools subjugated black children solely because of their race and denoted their inferiority as to their status in the community. The court also recognized that education is the very foundation of good citizenship. 
So segregation in public education harmed our democratic society more broadly as well. The segregation cases that followed Brown confirmed that the ultimate goal of that seminal decision was to achieve a system of integrated schools that ensured racial equality, not to impose a formalistic rule of race blindness. In those many cases, the court concluded that affirmative steps are constitutionally necessary when formal race neutrality cannot achieve Brown's promise of integration and racial equality. For 45 years, this court extended Brown's legacy to the context of higher education. It recognized five different times that a limited consideration of race in college admissions is constitutionally permissible to promote the benefits of racial diversity in higher education. It first so held 25 years after Brown in Bakke. It later reaffirmed Bakke's holding in Grutter and Gratz in 2003. It then reaffirmed Grutter and Fisher I and Fisher II in 2013 and 2016. The court's higher education precedents accord with the court's broader equal protection jurisprudence. As the majority recognizes, the court has explained in many other contexts that the Constitution permits the use of race when it satisfies strict scrutiny. Consistent with that view, the court has recognized a number of compelling interests that justify the use of race. It has held that race can be considered to segregate prisoners, to remedy various incidents of discrimination, to integrate primary schools, and even to draw voting districts. In sharp contrast with today's decision, the court has even allowed Border Patrol agents to consider a person's race and skin color when stopping motorists at the U.S.-Mexico border. Today, in the face of, the of this body of law, this court singles out diversity in higher education for special treatment. The court's holding reflects a choice. It reflects the value judgment that diversity in higher education is not sufficiently important. The result of that choice is that a person's skin color may play a role under our law in assessing individualized suspicion, but it cannot play a role, a limited role, in assessing that person's individualized contributions to a diverse learning environment. That indefensible reading of the Constitution is not grounded in law and subverts the very purpose of the 14th Amendment's guarantee of equal protection. The Court's decision today is profoundly wrong. None of the reasons the majority offers justifies it. And the Court points to no intervening changes in fact or law that, just, that justify, yet again this year, overruling nearly 50 years of precedent. The court also entirely ignores the significant reliance interest at stake. The court first says that it must all overrule all this case law because diversity is not sufficiently measurable. Yet this court has recognized as compelling plenty of interests that are equally or less measurable. There are many in my dissent, but I'm talk about one, it has said that it will protect the intangible interest in preserving public confidence in judicial integrity. 
an interest that the court itself, this Chief Justice, said does not easily reduce to precise definition. The court next argues that a limited use of race that increases representation of racial minorities on campus is unfair. According to the court, college admissions are a zero-sum game, and respondents' use of race unfairly advantages underrepresented minority students at the expense of other minority students and whites. That is not the role race plays in holistic admissions. Consistent with the court's precedents, Harvard and UNC's holistic review policies consider race in a very limited way. Respondents only consider a student's race if that student volunteers her race because it is an important component of that student's identity. In addition, race is only one factor out of many. This type of system allows universities to assemble a diverse class on a multitude of dimensions. Respondents' policies allow them to select students with various unique attributes, including talented athletes, artists, scientists, and musicians. They also allow respondents to assemble a class with diverse viewpoints, including students who have different political ideologies and academic interests, who have struggled with different types of disabilities, who are from various socioeconomic backgrounds, who understand different ways of life in various parts of the country and the world, and yes, students who self-identify with various racial backgrounds and who can offer different perspectives because of that identity. There is an assumption in what Justice Thomas says, which is only that certain, only certain kinds of blacks or minorities are being accepted. The record belies that. This type of multidimensional system benefits all students and our society generally. The majority's true objection appears to be that a limited consideration of college, of race and college admissions does in fact achieve what it is designed to achieve. It helps equalize opportunity and increase the number of underrepresented racial minorities on college campuses, particularly black and Latino students. This is unacceptable, the court and Justice Thomas say, because racial groups that are not underrepresented would be admitted in greater numbers without these policies. Reduced to its simplest terms, the court's conclusion is that an increase in the representation of racial minorities at institutions of higher learning that were historically reserved for white Americans is an unfair and repugnant outcome that offends the Equal Protection Clause. It provides a license to discriminate against white Americans, the court says, which requires the court and state actors to determine which races are better than others. Nothing in the 14th Amendment or its history supports the court's shocking proposition, which echoes the very arguments made by opponents of Reconstruction-era laws and opponents of integration in the aftermath of this court's decision in Brown. In a society where opportunity is dispensed along racial lines, racial equality cannot be achieved with race blindness and without making room for underrepresented groups that for far too long were denied admission through the force of law, including at Harvard and UNC. 
In a separate dissent, which Justice Kagan and I joined without qualification, Justice Jackson ably and thoroughly explains how the court opinion ignores the lengthy history of state-sponsored race preferences in America, and how there is nothing unfair about requiring colleges and universities to operate with race consciousness in light of that legacy of discrimination. The black, Asian, Latino students of today are not responsible for the legacy they have been left by segregation. The white students have advantages that they may not be responsible for, but it also gives them pluses in this system. We are all responsible as a country for the effects of segregation. Ignoring racial equality, inequality will not make it disappear. In fact, experience from elite universities and states that have banned race-conscious admission policies proves that forcing institutions to ignore race altogether will further segregate society and exacerbate racial inequality. As this court's precedents recognize, the 14th Amendment requires the opposite. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., a racially integrated vision of society in which institutions reflect all sectors of the American public and where the sons of former slaves and the sons of former slave owners are able to sit down together at the table of brotherhood is precisely what the Equal Protection Clause commands. Today's decision segregates our institutions further. Finalized, finally, mischaracterizing cruder, the court concludes that Harvard's and US race, UNC's race-conscious programs are unconstitutional because they do not have a specific expiration date. Yet Grutter simply announced a general expectation that the use of race-conscious admissions would no longer be necessary in the future. As even students for fair admissions, today's prevailing party acknowledged that oral argument. Those remarks were nothing but aspirational statements by the Grutter Court. The court's holding is based on the fiction that racial inequality has a predictable cutoff date. Equality is an ongoing project in a society where racial inequality persists. A temporal requirement that rests on the fantasy that racial inequality will end at a predictable hour is illogical and unworkable. There is a sound reason why this court's presidents have never imposed the majority strict deadline. In either this context or any other context, institutions cannot predict the future. Speculating about a day when consideration of race will become unnecessary is arbitrary at best and frivolous at worst. There is no constitutional duty to engage in that type of shallow guesswork. Citing no evidence, Justice Thomas also suggests that race-conscious admissions programs discriminate against Asian American students. SFFA argued that Harvard discriminates against Asian American applicants vis-a-vis -vis white applicants through the use of the personal ratings, an allegedly highly subjective component of the admissions process that is susceptible to stereotyping and bias. The personal ratings is a facially neutral, race-neutral component 
of Harvard's admission policy that is different from the use of race. Therefore, there is no connection between that rating and the remedy that SFFA and Justice Thomas imposes today. Ending the limited use of race in the entire admissions process is not necessary if that's all that was wrong. In any event, after assessing the credibility of fact witnesses and considering extensive documentary evidence and expert testimony, the courts below found no discrimination against Asian Americans. Justice Thomas points to no legal or factual error below, precisely because there is none. There is no question that the Asian American community, community continues to struggle against dehumanizing stereotypes in our society. It is precisely because racial discrimination persists in our society, however, that the use of race in college admissions to achieve racially diverse classes is critical to improving cross-racial understandings and breaking down racial stereotypes. Indeed, the record shows that some Asian American applicants are actually advantaged by Harvard's use of race. And eliminating consideration of race would significantly disadvantage at least some Asian American applicants. Because the Asian, com Asian American community is not a monolith, race-conscious holistic admissions allows colleges and universities to consider the vast differences within that community. Moreover, the admission rates of Asian Americans at institutions where race-conscious admissions policies, including at Harvard, have been steadily increasing for decades. By contrast, Asian American enrollment declined at elite universities that are prohibited by state law from considering race. At bottom, bottom race-conscious admissions benefits all students, including racial minorities and it includes the Asian American community. Justice Thomas belies reality by suggesting that experts and elites with views similar to those that motivated Dred Scott and Plessy are the ones who support race-conscious admissions. The plethora of young students of color who testified in favor of race-conscious uh, uh, race admissions proves otherwise. Not a single student let alone any racial minority, affected by the court's decision testified in favor of SSFA in these cases. The costly result of today's decision harms us all. The court's opinion harms not just respondents and students, but also our institutions and democratic society more broadly. Dozens of amici from nearly every sector of society agrees that the absence of race-conscious college admissions will compromise national security and decrease the pipeline of racially diverse college graduates to crucial professions. Those amici include the United States, which emphasizes the need for diversity in the nation's military and in the federal workforce more generally. It includes states, businesses, other universities, teachers, bar associates, association, and a myriad of other amici from a wide variety of industries and professions. By ending race-conscious college admissions, this court closes the door of opportunity that the court's precedents help open to young students of every race. 
Today, the court's decision will create a leadership pipe will de will create a leadership pipeline that is less diverse than our increasingly diverse society, reserving positions of influence for a predominantly white pool of college graduates. True equality of educational opportunity in racially diverse schools is an essential component of the fabric of our democratic society. It is an interest of the highest order and a foundational requirement for the promotion of equal protection under the law. Brown recognized that passive race neutrality was inadequate to achieve the constitutional guarantee of racial inequality in a nation where the effects of segregation persist. In a society where race continues to matter, there is no constitutional requirement that institutions attempting to remedy their legacies of racial exclusion must operate with a blindfold and not give race at least a limited use. Today, this court overrules decades of precedent and imposes a super superficial rule of race blindness on the nation. The devastating impact of this decision cannot be overstated. The majority's vision of race neutrality will entrench racial segregation in higher education because racial inequality will persist so long as it is ignored. Notwithstanding this court's actions, however, society's progress towards equality cannot be permanently halted. Diversity is now a fundamental American value housed in our varied and multicultural American community that only continues to grow. The pursuit of racial diversity will go on despite the court. Although the court has stripped out almost all uses of race in college admissions, universities can and should continue to use all available tools to meet society's needs for diversity in education. Despite the court's unjustified exercise of power, the opinion today will serve only to highlight the court's own impotence in the face of an America whose cries for equality resound. As has been the case before in the history of American democracy, the arc of the moral universe will bend towards racial justice despite the court's effort today to impede its progress. We shall overcome. With profound sadness, Justices Kagan, Jackson, and I dissent. Justice Jackson did not participate in the consideration of the case in 2011-99 and joins this dissent only as it applies to case number 21707.